0: Revelation 3, 1 through 6. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. Remember, therefore, that you have what, what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Catherine. Well, friends, we return back to the book of Revelation Back to these seven letters uh, that Jesus has written to us, uh, not just for our instruction, but also for our encouragement in this life. And and these letters are to the church, his church, straight from his lips to our hearts. So we turn to the letter given to the church in Sardis, which was a city in uh, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. But before we continue to dive in, let's say a word of prayer. Lord, we invite you into this time. You're already here. Lord, we need you so much. And we're grateful that you have indeed seen our great need. And you move in. You intervene in our challenges of life when we are distracted by life. God, you move in when we are discouraged. So would you bring us a fresh word from your your lips, Jesus, um, bring your spirit to bear in our hearts that we may be people who abide by you. So we thank you and we pray this in your name. Amen. Friends, just like any other bustling city, Sardis wanted to be great. Uh, the city was founded around 1400, 1500 B.C. And then it espoused to greatness, began to grow and grow and there was gold in the area, um, and, there, and there were people bustling all around the cities. There are rulers that came through this area uh, throughout the, the centuries of, of this city, and they were taken over, and they were beat down, uh, and they were attacked on end. But the greatness of Sardis continued to run about throughout history. It was greatly known. They had industries there. One was a wool industry uh, where they were the first to dye wool, first to mint coins. And so this was a big deal uh, within the Roman Empire. And so we see this city and its aspirations to be great. We see our own cities around our country as well and aspirations of those cities to be great. Our own city, right? There's a greatness about it. Because of the people in it and what they aspire to. And also in cities around the world, there's grandeur about these cities and the people, it makes sense. If that is the water that they're swimming in, well, within the church, perhaps it's the same way as the world. And so we see here this city wanted to be great. The people in this church wanted to have a great name, a great reputation throughout the city. They wanted to be known for something that was bigger than themselves. But see, herein lies the problem. As we see here in this scripture, that Jesus is the one who is making his name great in the world through the spirit and in his church. And so we begin to see that the greatness that this church was aspiring to Kind of ran kind of culture to what Jesus' desire was for them as a church. And so Jesus comes to their hearts. And we see in verse one, these and these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Here this number seven, as throughout scripture from Genesis, we see this number as a number meaning completion or perfection. And we see also that the spirit in this verse is the spirit that is sent from the throne of God. It's the spirit of completion, the the whole spirit, the perfect spirit who comes from Jesus. And the seven stars here are the angels of the seven churches and and for the church to be complete for all times. So Jesus is the one who is making a great name for himself in history. So the central focus indeed of the Spirit's ministry, it is to witness forth what Jesus says and what Jesus has done. So who knows, who knows Jesus no better than the Spirit? Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was with Jesus from the beginning, throughout all his life. The Spirit knows every action of Jesus that he ever took. So when Jesus came to us and and, and gave through the disciples this word that I'm going to send the counselor, the paraclete, the helper, to be with you forever. He was talking about his Holy Spirit. And as we see that, it's kind of interchangeable. When you have Jesus, you have the Spirit. When you have the Spirit, you have Jesus himself. We know this from 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And so they're interchangeable in their ministry. So the Spirit has come to extend this ministry of Jesus and to be a witness to his great name in the world. So when the Father pours out the Spirit, he's pouring out the Spirit To be an agent for Jesus. Jesus holds the spirit. He possesses the spirit that comes from the Father. So God intends to grow us in the greatness of himself. Not uh, Not the other way around. Not for us to grow a greatness within ourselves, but for us to be great in him. He didn't give us his Savior for nothing, but he gave him to make a name for himself through us, that we would know that name, that we would bow to that name. And so the reputations that we carry, it matters to God. Our names matter to God. And we see this all the way back in in, uh, Exodus chapter 20. God gave us the ninth commandment, as one scholar wrote, the ninth commandment against bearing false witness means that a person has a right to his good name. God makes a person's reputation a sacred thing. God listens to every whisper. God watches every like on Facebook. God notes every retreat and comment. God reads every email. God hears every phone call. God' discourse about one another matters to God above. It matters to him so much that he included this in his Ten Commandments. Our names matter to God. So what does God require for us in our good name? That our name would be the name that he has given above every name. (laughs) And that's the name of his one and only son, Jesus. Herein lies the problem in Sardis. They desire that their their name be great, Jesus tells them. I know you, I know what you do, I see you, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. They had a reputation of making a name for Jesus, perhaps, being alive, when they really were making a name for themselves. They were pretending to be something that they are not. They were awake to the falsehood of their hearts but asleep to the realities of true life. Their deeds are not complete in God's eyes because they're not doing the deeds from the motivation of the heart of the Holy Spirit but from the motivation of their own selfish ambitions. They're not doing the deeds in the name of Christ and for his sake but they're doing these deeds to make their names great. Perhaps over time, this church began to slip into some of what was going on in the grandeur of the culture. Perhaps they slipped into being positive. Well, we're just going to do the right things. We're going to be positive. We're going to get along with everyone. Perhaps they thought in their minds, we're going to just assimilate into the culture. Sort of like just, you know, be one with the culture and and be happy-go-lucky and be liked by all. Maybe they did all kinds of humanitarian acts to help people around the city and around the area. And it was looked upon as something very good. And those are good things. And to outside looking in, it looked like these are the things that they are into that makes them alive. Perhaps they was on the right side of a crisis or a political view. You know, perhaps they began in their hearts to barter with God. God, we would do all these good things for you if you bless us. We're going to do our part. God, you do your part. And if it was going well for them, it looks like life. Maybe in their religiosity, we're going to keep what is good. Like the young rich ruler, I I know the commandments. I'm going to keep them and make a name for myself. Jesus, what can you do for me to make me great? So we began to see that what was really going on for the people in this church, they began to be Christians by name, nominal Christians. But in their hearts, they were suffering from perhaps slowly but surely spiritual apathy, not really a deep compassion for God in their hearts, more attuned with their earthly possessions than they were with the very character of God. More concerned about their earthly positions instead of knowing the position that is granted to them by Christ, that they are son or daughter of the king, and that cannot be changed. Perhaps they are more concerned uh, about prestige and the influence that they could carry throughout the region to, to go along, to get along, and to not push back on anything, but to just be okay with everyone. But these things, the earthly possessions, positions, prestige has rendered them dead to Christ and alive to the world. Jesus has said in Matthew 7, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform men and miracles? Then I would tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoer. Friends, these are some sobering words. <laughs> they are kind of hard to read. And as I looked at these words throughout my own life as a believer, it kind of shakes me up inside. Because we recognize that we do want to do good for God. We do want to be impressive as a believer. We, we see that these are good things to prophesy in his name and to drive out the enemy in his name and do miracles and do all these good things. Those are very good things. But what Jesus points us to, not everyone who calls me Lord, Lord, is under my Lordship. Jesus wants us to be under his rule, in his rule, living out of his rule, not the other way around. Not us being the lords of our lives, being the ones who are in total control, but Jesus being the one who is in control and who we, goes to, who we go to for everything. And we feel this, don't we? When life gets out of control, we feel it. It's like, what am I going to do? When I've been dependent on my job, when I've been dependent on my friend, when I've been de- dependent on my father, my mother, uh, whatever it is that carries the weights of the control in our lives, sometimes God shakes us up to untether us to such things so that we would not think that life is so grand when we have these possessions or positions or the prestige that we desire but what matters most is that we are watchful is that we're watchful for the day of the lord returns and that's what christ brings us to you see you see they were dead and dying in their faith. the things that they thought brought them life really brought them death So Jesus reminds us here that we must live lives that are watchful. That we must live lives that are are worthy. And that we we must learn how to win with God and not lose with ourselves. So living a watchful life, Jesus brings us here to these five commands for living. So he, he comes to them out of his grace out of his mercy here, to to do one thing first, to wake them up. That's the first command. Up, arise, get up, wake up. The reasons you wake up, keep watch or remain watchful is so that you will not fall into temptation. Jesus wants to wake us up to the reality of how we have drifted. From Trusting him, wake us up to the perhaps the spiritual apathy that we have in our hearts. you know the sort of apathy that that says, you know I kind of don't care about life and don't know why I care or, or why I should trust in god the the type of thing that you know that we kind of doubt like is God really there when we when we pray uh, the the kind of thing that kind of leads us. Uh, maybe to some of the places where we realize that, wait, the thing that I thought was my purpose is not really my purpose. So we have to come to the Lord for these things. So he, by his grace, he says, wake up. And this really does remind me of Jesus with the disciples. Here is Jesus in his last days before he goes to the cross. And they went with Jesus. This is in Mark 14 they went with Jesus to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples sit here while I pray so he took Peter James and John along with him and he began to be in deep deep distress and trouble my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death he said to them stay here and keep watch stay awake Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible the hour might pass for him. He cries out, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Get not what I will, but what you will. Then he turned to his disciples and found them sleeping again. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh, the body, is weak. The reason Jesus brings us to the point where we wake up is because he knows we're tempted to fall asleep in our faith. He says, watch And pray so that you will not fall into temptation that lurks right around the corner. The temptation of greatness, perhaps. The temptation that wants to say, I will satisfy you. All you need is to bow down to me. The temptation of moving away and living life out loud apart from Jesus. All kinds of temptations. But Jesus knows they will come. But he keeps us alert, awake in our faith so that we can pray and be faithful unto him. The second command that he gives them is to strengthen. He says, strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of God. Their deeds are out of alignment with the heart of God. And Jesus recognized they need to be strengthened. To be strengthened here in in their faith, it is to be strong in the Lord. It it is to hold on when you really don't feel like holding on. To be strengthened here, it is to come again to the realities of Christ and recognize that, well, there may be some things going on in my life that I'm doing for God, that are not pleasing to God. There are some things that are going on in my life that are kind of off the course of what God is calling me to. God is calling me back around to do the thing that he told me to do at first. And it could be many things of faithfulness that he's calling you to today. But rest assured, we need to be strong. We do indeed have an enemy, but Christ is saying, wake up to be strengthened so that you can be near me, so that you can know me and know the greatness that I have for you, that the things that you do are not out of your own motivation, are not out of your own skill set, that these things are not because of some, some physical safety or, or, or strength, or busyness that you may do to reach your goals. But these things come out of a spiritual reality that you can be strengthened in your inner man and truly trust in the Lord. You know, one of the reasons we don't come to this place, at least I don't, I don't come to this place of my heart of heart sometimes because I am busy about life. And because I know that if I look at that attachment need that I really have, that deep-seated need, that I can't stand myself. So really, I'm, I'm, I'm running away from the Lord, but I'm running away from myself. Maybe it's a restlessness of what I don't have at times that I'm running away from. Maybe if you're like me, maybe it's a concern for safety out of one reason or another. But the Lord draws us to himself so that we can be strengthened by him and that we know that we're not alone in that, that we can have faith in him. The third command that he gives us here is to remember. He said, remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Call to mind what you have received and heard. And we know that Christ came to his own and his own did not receive him. But John tells us this in John chapter 1, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of a natural descent nor of human decisions or a husband's will, but born of God. He's bringing us to remember the apostles' teachings that we have received. That what they taught were the truths about Jesus. That Jesus commanded them to teach the church. These things that we have received, these things that we have heard, we are to embrace them. Remember all of what Christ has done on our behalf. Remember that he really did suffer and die. Remember that when the Lord was here, that he did care about people to the point of healing them, being moved with compassion. We have received the benefits of being in the body of Christ. We have received his own spirit in our hearts. We have to remember what we have heard, the gospel of peace, the good news about Jesus That he really does take away our sin. That he really does give us true victory in himself. And that he really will not ever let us go. That he's holding on to us. We have to call to mind these things if we are to be alive and to live the life that he calls us to live. The fourth command is that we obey God's word. This is the spirit's work. Leading us in love. Leading us in healing. Leading us to receive. Leading us in prayer. Leading us to have the attitude of Christ. The character of God. Being gracious. Showing compassion. Kindness. And the spirit is our teacher. Acknowledging that we do have sin. And helping us to turn from it. So he's helping us to obey the very words of God, to live into what Christ has called us to. And that's the biggest one there. Jesus said, if you love me, you would do what my command is. You would do what I've commanded. And he says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. So it's as if, Jesus, you're the only one that I need to love. Yes, that is true. But can you love your neighbor as yourself? You know, it kind of brings us to examine our hearts. Where am, I, where am I holding bitterness in my heart towards somebody else? Where am I withholding the goodness that I could be sharing with others? Where am I not joyful in my heart? You know, uh, could it be somewhere in there that I'm not really loving as Jesus has called me to love? And we can't do this alone. We do need his empowerment, his help to love like he loves. Because what did Jesus do? His love went to the extent that he laid down his life for his friends. And he's calling us to do the same thing. To love as he loved. To obey this word that has been taught to us. And so the last command here is that he's teaching us how to repent. To turn away from making our name great. So he's telling the church in Sardis, like, yeah, you have this great reputation within your community. You have this great name. You have this influence. Turn away from all that. Be willing to give that up for the sake of my name, for the sake of my glory, because you are not left. You are not lost in that glory, in that name. You are with me in it. You're embraced in that name, in that love, and so you can turn away from those things that you think would give you life, but really are bringing you to death. You know, all the other churches, we we see some of their uh, idolatry, immorality, and and ways that they have fallen from their first love. We we see plainly here, but you know this church also is in the culture where all those things are going on too but christ has this message for them that hey you really need to turn away from trying to make your own name great because the spirit is among the churches and he's not bringing a good report to me (laughs) and so he is encouraging them to turn to turn away from those other loves, to turn to him, to turn to being great in Jesus. So Jesus wants us to live watchful lives. He also wants us to live lives that are worthy unto him because this is what he calls us in verse 4. He says, yet I have, well, let me go back before we go into worthy. He gives a warning, doesn't he? But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come. What is this right here? This is not the end time judgment that Revelation does talk about. This is the judgment that will come upon them right now because they would not turn away from their sin. This is the judgment that Jesus says will come upon them. And they won't even know it because they are harboring sin in their hearts, right? And so it's a warning to us, too, to take stock of what's going on in our lives, to take stock of ways that we haven't turned from things that the Lord has told us to turn from. You see, God gives us the strength to do it. He doesn't just leave us out there by ourselves, give us a warning and, and say, hey, look, this, you're doing bad, so your judgment is coming. No, he doesn't do that. He's with us. He said, no, I'm, I've given you the spirit. I've given you the power to turn. I've given you everything, all of the ammunition to turn and to be with me and to wake up and be alive, truly alive, that your joy may be strengthened. And so he's with us, and he sees that we need him to come and nudge us like he did the disciples. Stay awake. Stay awake. Stay awake. And he keeps us awake. The Lord says we are worthy in him. Verse 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. What a pronouncement, worthy, as one historian noted of this passage. The imagery builds on one of the major sources of wealth in Sardis, its wool industry. Unlike the garments they make, their spiritual garments are soiled. The term means unwashed and can have a, just a strong religious connotation of one defiled or unclean. By accommodating themselves to their pagan environment, the Sardis church had contaminated themselves and become unclean. But Jesus says there's a few people who have not become unclean. There are few people who have not contaminated themselves with the culture. There are few people who will be dressed for the occasion, dressed in white, which means... They are not defiled, which means they are clean. So, friends, if you are in Christ today, you are clean. You're washed whiter than snow. You don't have to guess anymore if you're clean. If the Lord has accepted you, you are clean. You don't have to guess anymore whether or not you are worthy. He says you are worthy if you are in Him. You've been washed in Him. You are worthy. Which means this is the matter of life that has been keeping in the attitude of Christ, who humbled himself, being a servant to others, did not think of himself or herself as great, but trusting in their Savior, looking to him, their worth being based upon what Jesus has done on the cross for them and not on their own ingenuity, their own skills, their own sense of being worthy. It's only through Jesus, not through something that they're waiting on. Maybe their mother's blessing, maybe their father's blessing, but through the blessing that Jesus gives to say that you are worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy because you remain faithful in Jesus You may be barely holding on, but you are holding on to him because he's holding on to you. You may feel unworthy today, Christian, but you're not. You are worthy. Maybe there are ways that you have faltered and and failed and, and you and you think, how can God accept me like this? I'm still failing as a friend. I'm still failing. As a mom, I'm still failing as a, as a husband, as a brother. How can God accept me like this? Friends, he has already made you clean and made the pronouncement that you are worthy because you're looking to him and no place else. We must remain watchful because we are indeed worthy. And friends, God teaches us how to live To win with him. To win with God means that we are looking to the accountability that God will give us at the end of the day. When we're face to face with him. We're looking at that as the finishing line. Of keeping the faith. Strengthening forward in the faith. And so God gives us these threefold promises for those who will overcome. For those who will overcome, they will indeed be dressed in white. Jesus said he is going to make his church blameless, without spot or wrinkle. They will be the ones that are pure in life because Jesus has made them pure. They will be the ones who have overcome because they know the perseverance of the saints and they remain faithful in the eyes of Jesus and before him. The second part of this promise, their eternal possession, but their eternal position. Jesus said, I will never, no, never blot out their name from the book of life. So in this, you are forgiven. You are kept secured in heaven. You know, to have a citizenship in Sardis meant their names were written in the city's registry. Their position was Secure as long as their names were written there. One scholar notes of this, that this energy was de- developed beginning with the record of the citizens in a city state of country and, and moving to the records of the gods. They would have special meaning for Sardis for a time, a long time, the capital of Persians and other empires. To have your name as the record meant that you belong. You're a citizen, you're somebody, you have, you're part of the Commonwealth. But to not have your name as part of the record meant that you did not belong, you, you, were, you have done some serious crime, and that your name was removed from the registry. Outcast, true slave, no identity, no position here within the city Erasure. You see what Jesus is doing here? It's like, hey, don't worry about your position in this city, in this country, amongst this empire. I will never blot your name out from the rolls of heaven. That's where your name counts. that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Don't boast that you have done great things for Jesus, but instead boast that your name is written by his name, the registry of heaven. You're a citizen of a greater country, a greater place, a greater city, and your name will never be blotted out. You're dead to your sins. They have been nailed. Your written record has been nailed to the cross, and your name will never be blotted out. Jesus gives them the promise of eternal possessions, eternal positions and status, and also eternal prestige. He said, I will acknowledge, if we can just let that fall upon us, I will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. To have this heavenly acknowledgement means that you are great because Jesus says so. It means that you have spent a life of coming after Jesus. You have denied yourself. Day after day. And you have thought of Jesus. And you follow him. You, you don't consider your life worth saving for yourself. You consider your life as lost Compared to following Christ. Instead of gaining the world. You lost it all. For the namesake of Jesus. And you will have no other name but his name. This is why Jesus tells us in Luke, if anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. You see, Jesus recognizes that we need this acknowledgement, that he is not ashamed of us to call us brother, sister. We need this acknowledgement for our own hearts, that we do have prestige in Jesus. That as we day by day look upon him, no matter how imperfect the looking upon him is, the fact is looking upon him day by day, learning how to say no to the things of the world and yes to the things of Christ. It's not easy to deny oneself the pleasures of the world, especially when the hooks of the world are in you. But Jesus is saying, I will help you take them out. I will help you cast them aside. Look to me, not to the right or to the left. Look to me. I, will, I have already covered your shame on the cross. There's no more shame for you. You may feel a sense of legitimate shame that that should drive you right back to me. I am not ashamed of you, dear one. I will confess that you belong to me before my father. Friends, this is a big deal that we have the acknowledgment of Jesus before the Father above, and before the angels. That everything Jesus has ever said about us in him is true. And that everything we have in him will never be taken away. Friends, there is a name that is above every name. And in that name we dwell. And this is our hope, this is our joy, this is our life. Friends, let us trust in that name. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for showing us how to live in this world before you. We thank you, Lord, that you have shown us, that you have given us the weight of glory, that we are in your name. And so thank you for keeping us. Thank you for not being ashamed to call us brother, sister, dear one.